Our call to gather tonight is from Father Gregory Boyle. How do we awaken from the dream of separateness, from an abiding sense that the chasm that exists between us cannot be reconciled? For it would seem that the gulf in our present age cannot be wider between us and them. How do we tame the status quo that lulls us into blinding, blindly accepting the things that divide us and keep us from our own holy longing for the mutuality of kinship, a sure and certain sense that we belong to each other? Welcome to Emmaus Way tonight. I'm Elizabeth, I'm on staff here. We are a community captivated by the gospel um, and seeking to participate and recognize the work of God in Durham and in our various communities. Um, tonight is kind of a more than usual ad-lib night. Molly is um, experiencing another lupus event. It seems like it's um, more serious than usual. She passed out this afternoon and her doctor told her that she should um, push fluids and rest and not be here. So she said she would appreciate the prayers of the community, so we thought that we would pray for her before the community song. God who is gracious and God who is kind and God who is with us, I'm grateful for this time and this space and all those who fill it. But Lord, we are aware that uh, when, when one of us is missing, that our whole body hurts and our whole body misses, um, misses that part of us that's not here. And Lord, we would ask that you be with Molly right now um, and give her peace of mind and give her, her body strength um, and help her to, to relax. I know that she feels uh, stressed when she cannot be um, with her community on Sunday nights. Um, and I would ask that um, you give us the knowledge, um, the knowledge and the patience and, and the words to support her as she takes time, um, takes time to do what her body needs. So Lord, uh, I ask that you would be with Ben tonight as he leads this dialogue um, and as he uh, guides us through, through Molly's words and what she had prepared for us. Um, and I would ask that you uh, be with us now and show us, help us to show your love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, we, the kids are doing, I'm, if you don't know me, I'm Rhody. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, I pastor all of the kids. And so we do a community song every week that the kids uh, lead us in. Yes? Children? Sure. And um, so we have been singing this great doxology uh, for the last four weeks as we've been working through our Trinity unit, and this is our last week of our Trinity unit, so we're going to sing this doxology one more time before we have a new song next week. Uh, so would you all join me and the kids in singing um, the doxology? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise God all creatures here below. Oh, praise God. Hallelujah. 
Kids, I think we're all going to go outside for a little while while it's still light out. And now I think Ben has some announcements, or Elizabeth has some announcements. So announcements, we have music in the basement in this space with some jazz friend musician folks. And um, it's open to the entire community. We encourage you to come out. That's a week from tomorrow at 7 p.m. Um, does anybody else have any other announcements? Yes, so table groups are going on. Um, we tried to put everybody who's part of the community on the list, um, and someone should have reached out to you to say, hey, we're gonna gather around a table and um, practice kinship together, bearing witness. If you have not heard from somebody, please let Ben or Rody or me know, and we'll make sure that you get attached to one of those groups. Also, if you find that the group um, that has reached out to you, your schedule is not gonna work, please reach out and we can hook you up with a different group so that you can make sure that you can um, take part. Does anybody else have any announcements? Yeah, Clint. I, um, I got an email from Molly today. I imagine most of us got it about the, uh, Sue's long coming for Lit and trying to start a songwriting uh, class. So um, anyway, if you didn't get that email, uh, you can email Molly or Ben or someone, even me, I guess. Uh, but uh, we need volunteers to have the class, we need at least four people. Yeah, so Suze, who's a regular um, musician, she is, so it's six weeks, once a week. You don't have to have any musical talent or play an instrument, or you just have to be ready to be creative and share. Um, and we need four folks to make the class, but we can certainly have more than that. So if you'd be interested in taking part six weeks during Lent, uh, reach out. Thanks, Lynn. Hey, Elizabeth. Uh, February 21st, there's a CAN Metro Council meeting. Some of you have been, been involved. Uh, if you want more information, feel free to email me, Sarah, Sarah Berkter. At Nehemiah Christian Center. Uh, I think the time is from 6.30 to 8. Great. And what's can? What's, what, yeah, what are you guys doing towards? So, I, don't, I think this meeting is actually going to be to talk about strategy for the next year and uh, the focus projects uh, over the next year, so it's a really good time to, to be involved. I'm sure, as some of you may have seen on the social, there was uh, an action, like a kind of Hurriedly pulled together action uh, for a press conference for Light Rail this past week, but I'm pretty sure that Light Rail and some of the implications for jobs will still be on the horizon as far as affordable housing and all those things. But either way, priorities I think are going to be discussed uh, at this Metro Council meeting on February 21st. Great. 
And if you're new with us, there are cards on the back table. You, um, if you would like to meet with one of the folks on staff, uh, you can fill one of those out. We also have a, a listserv that gets announcements out about things that are going on in our community. If you're interested, I think there's a box you can check to put yourself on that. Um, so tonight, we have been having these community questions um, to kind of start off our conversation. And tonight the question is, as you continue to discuss kinship this season, what responsibilities does that discussion seem to call us to? Um, so for the past few weeks, we've been talking about what it means to be in kinship and um, tonight we're thinking about what responsibilities come with that. So. Yeah. I think there's a responsibility to have our um, maybe capacity for feelings expanded or maybe that's just what my experience of it was since that wasn't something I learned growing up. But to be able to hold things that are different at the same time. Like I know a number of people who are pregnant and are related to be pregnant. I know a number of people who can die to be pregnant and are not pregnant. And so being delighted for the joys and joining in sorrow for the sorrows, I think is something that kinship holds us to, to hold both of those at the same time. Yeah. Responsibility I always think about with kinship is showing up. Um, whether it's whether I'm excited to show up or whether it's a hard place to show up or um, that's something that is a big deal it seems if we're gonna be kin to be present. Patience and understanding and flexibility and perseverance. I guess. Yeah. 
Well, we have Tim here with us again tonight, and um, we'll move into our songs of preparation. Yeah, um, it's, uh, it's a pleasure to be back here. Those of you who, who haven't encountered me before, my name's Tim Carlos. And uh, so I'm going to sing you a selection of songs this evening that uh, have been the list which was arrived at, curated by myself and Ben. And I know previously there's been some concern about my lack of explanation of songs and what, what they mean. And I'm, I, 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 I am somewhat reticent to explain what, what, certainly what other people's songs mean. And the first song I'm, I'm going to sing for you tonight is this uh, is a song called The Pretender by Jackson Brown. And I remembered that my first awareness of it was via... <clears throat> Uh, a BBC show uh, called Words and Music that was brought, initially broadcast in the early 90s where different songwriters would, would come on with one of the songs from their canon and they would explain the song. And I remember that, that Ricky Lee Jones was on there and Amy Mann and, and Jackson Brown was on there singing the song. That was the, my first awareness of this song and, and really of, of him. I knew the name but I didn't know his music. And so I thought in preparation for this I would go back and watch it which I, I found on YouTube, and he doesn't explain what the song's about. Everybody else does. He explains their songs, and he, 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 he shares that he wrote part of it in Hawaii and the other part in Los Angeles, and that's, that's all the information he offers. But I, I think it's a really interesting song. I think it's so vivid, and it, it can mean a number of things. And the, the Jackson Brown, I think it's... At times, he appears to be the observer of, of these people in this song, or this person. It, the whole thing might be one person. Or, or at other times, it might be him. So I, I don't know. And if it's important to you that... You, I, yeah, I think you should figure it out. You, you know, just... And whatever you arrive at is right, I think. So, anyway. This is called The Pretender. I'm gonna rent myself a house in the shade of the freeway I'm gonna pack my lunch in the morning and go to work each day And when the evening rolls around I'll go home and lay my body down And when the morning light Come streaming in I'll get up and do it again Amen Say it again Amen I want to know What became of the changes We waited for love To bring Were they only The fitful dreams Of some greater awakening I've been aware of the time going by They say in the end it's the wink of an eye And when the morning light comes streaming in You'll get up and do it again Amen Caught between the longing for love 
and the struggle for the legal tender Where the sirens sing and the church bells ring and the junk man pounds his fender And the veterans they dream of the fight Fast asleep at the traffic light And the children solemnly wait For the ice cream vendor Out into the cool of the evening Strolls the pretender He knows all his hopes and dreams Begin and end there The laughter of the lovers as they run through the night Leaving nothing for the others but to choose off and fight the world through all of their might Where the ships bearing their dreams sail out of sight I'm gonna find myself a girl who can show me what laughter means And we'll fill in the missing colors in each other's Paint by number dreams And then we'll put our dark glasses on And we'll make love till our strength is gone And when the morning light comes streaming And we'll get up and do it again Amen I'm gonna be a happy idiot And struggle for the legal tender Take aim and they lay their claim At the heart and soul of the spender And they believe in whatever may lie And the things that money can buy Though true love could have been a contender Are you there? Say a prayer for the pretender who started out so young and strong Only to surrender Say a prayer for the pretender Are you there for the pretender? Say a prayer So moving on, um, next up, a song by, uh, written by Eric Clapton, uh, stems from the, uh, um, the band Blind Faith. 
often credited or usually credited as being the world's first supergroup. Sort of grew out of the ashes of uh, Eric Clapton leaving Cream and Steve Winwood leaving Traffic, and it was a, um, a short-lived thing. Um, one album, one tour, I, th- I believe. And this is one of the songs. Uh, my understanding is that uh, Eric Clapton wrote, wrote this uh, having had no uh, spiritual path or journey. Um, so certainly any, anything that was structured during his formative years and as a, a young man, as a musician, had sort of encountered various esoteric um, attitudes and ideas about what spirituality or religion might be. And um, this grew out of that, but it's as much as I know. I, what I'll do is, because um, of, of all the songs, it's probably one that if you, I know some of you like to sing along this, I'll sing the first verse and then the chorus and then I'll, I'll loop back round and if you want to join, join in, you can. I have finally found a way to live Just like I never could before And I know that I don't have much to give But I can open any door And everybody knows the secret Everybody knows the score I have finally found a way to live In the presence of the Lord I have finally found a way to live Just like I never could before And I know that I don't have much to give But I can open any door And everybody knows the secret Everybody knows the score I have finally found a way to live In the presence of the Lord I finally found a place to live Just like I never could before And I know that I don't have much to give But soon I'll open any door Everybody knows the secret Everybody knows the 
album oh mercy and yeah i'm not sure that it bears explanation from from me but it's a, it's a wonderful song it's one of my favorite songs it's called bring them bells Sweet Martha for the poor man's son 
Thank you, Tim. I, yeah, I, I'm biased because I get to help pick the songs, but I'm not sure we've had a better tuned set of songs this, this calendar year thus far in terms of where they fit with the text that we're trying to grapple with. Um, yeah, and thanks for bringing the gob iron. I just learned that a harmonica in British parlance is called a gob iron because this is your gob. So, you know, there you go. Take that home with you. Um, those of you that don't know me, I'm Ben. Uh, one of my purposes here as Pastor Mace Way is to be Molly's sidekick. And so, yeah, I'm going to sidekick my way right into some things that she wrote uh, this week. Um, but before we do that, just, yeah, we've been talking about kinship this whole season of Epiphany that we're now about six weeks into. Um, and, and as we have been the whole year, bearing witness and reclaiming kinship, bearing witness to the world as we find it, and amidst that, in spite of that, finding some way, trying to discover some way in which we might still reclaim, rediscover, re-narrate a kinship with God and each other. And in recent weeks, we've talked about barriers to that, places where our own shame, where the places we come from stand as barriers to that sort of kinship, but also the abundance it offers when, when it does surprisingly break in. Last week, we got kinship um, laying a claim on one man's life in the story of Simon Peter, uh, and be we blind, deaf, uh, chosen, left, crying, happy kinship, we're saying this epiphany is a reality that tends to show up and break in. And as we're getting into this week and this text and, and next week's as well, we're getting to that love that enemies thread. 
um, is something that doesn't just implicate us individually, but implicates us in a social reality. The social of the kingdom, a better phrase, I'm not sure, than the color of the Lord, the ways in which we might be together that blend and blur uh, in ways that are uncomfortable. So I think we've been well prepared for that conversation tonight, but as we always do, I wanna invite you to pass the peace of Christ to each other uh, or just greet each other uh, with a warm smile. Shake hands with somebody you don't know, grab some coffee. It looks like some snacks have appeared back there perhaps. Uh, so yeah, grab some of that and we'll be back together to dialogue together in just a couple minutes. Okay, so I'm going to gather us back together to get started talking over this text, which if you grew up in a churchly space like me, you probably at some point saw on some church lady or church wall the Beatitudes, right? And there they were, these like lovely statements about blessed people and things. And I'll, I'll say in advance, you're getting, for the most part, this is, you know, this is a Google Doc I printed out from, that Molly shared with me about, yeah, 3, 3.30. So yeah, so you'll get a lot of Molly, but in, in, my, in my voice, an inimitable style or something. But when we hear Beatitudes, I think a lot of us probably have those are sort of reference points. And we get this text, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and all utter of kinds of evil are done against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. But that's not exactly what Luke gives us in his retelling of the Sermon on the Plain. That's Matthew, and we have Luke in front of us. So would someone read Luke from Luke 6? He came down with them and stood in a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea, Jerusalem, and the coast of Tyre and Sidon. They had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases, and those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cursed. And all in the crowd were trying to touch him, for power came out from him and healed all of them. Then he looked up at his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, revile you, and defame you on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day, and leap for joy, for surely your reward is great in heaven. For that is what their ancestors did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all speak well of you, 
For that is what their ancestors did to the false prophets. Okay, so now we have two texts, very similar, but not quite the same. What sticks out to you about this Luke Sermon on the Plain in comparison to Matthew's telling? It seems like more directly concrete. It's like, blessed, uh, blessed are you who are poor, not blessed are the poor in spirit. Spirit. Yeah, absolutely. There's like a tangibility, right? There's none of this gloss of the of the hereafter or the spirit world. You poor. Good. Other other things that stick out. It's a little less upbeat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 How so? Yeah. Well, we get the woe to you. Right. Yeah, there's that whole woe section, right? Yeah. That's the great thing about the Beatitudes, it was all beatitude right? Yeah, and this, this one comes with the after, yeah, the after effect. And just in case I wasn't clear, whoa, also, yeah. Anything else that sticks out, just holding these two together briefly? This one's on the plane. Um, mm. You know, in, in terms of the prophecy that every valley will be lifted up and every mountain will be made low, Whereas the Sermon on the Mount is like, all these blessings are going up this way. And the plain is like, the mountains have been leveled and the valleys have been lifted. Yeah. And I'm thinking about Matthew, right? And how many, how many prominent things to Matthew's Jewish audience would have happened on, yeah, elevated places, right? And yeah, that's really, hmm. I think, yeah, I'm at, there's a lot to pull apart there. Yeah, intertextually. Anybody else? Something that just pings out about these two next to each other. In Matthew, you get the sense where uh, he's talking to people who are, you know, downtrodden, who are in low places. But then, like in Luke, is basically like, you know, this is good news to to you people over here. But then this is this is like bad news to you people over there. And so. Um, I don't know, it kind of gives that, you know, to me, like, what is the gospel? And who is the good news to? Yeah, I love that, Paul. Like, yeah, a couple years back, I don't know where this, but this phrase, who is this good news, good news for? Got in my head, and every once in a while, I'm in a, I ask myself that question. It always sort of reorients, um, yeah, how I'm thinking about good news. It's what, yeah, who for? So like many of you have mentioned uh, Luke's telling of the Sermon on the Plain, there's not an issue so much of being poor in spirit, but being just poor. Not hungering for righteousness, but being hungry. Not eschatological mourning, but grief produced by stunning violence and awful death. And then, as if it wasn't pointed enough, there's woe to you who are rich. You've had what you're going to get. Woe to you who are full, hunger is coming. Woe to you who laugh because you will mourn. And quite frankly, many of us are pretty okay with the Beatitudes, but not as okay with the gospel writer's woes. And the crazy thing about this Luke articulation of the Sermon on the Plain is that the gospel writer wanted us to know that tons of people from all different walks of life were there hearing both the blessings and 
the woes. The writer clearly states specific geographic regions that are represented. We've got Judea and Jerusalem and Tyre and Sidon. It's a clear message that what Jesus teaches and proclaims is for all the people, the Jews and the Gentiles alike. These blessings and woes were for everyone. All gathered then and now are hearing the fullness of the sermon and as Jesus presents his thoughts to those gathered, it becomes apparent that he is not interested in keeping things the same. Rather, his purpose was to usher in a world that would literally be reversed and unsettle many of us. So what are we to do with that? Uh, And yeah, the next question that Molly's laid out for us, and I would ask you is, what does Luke's telling of the Sermon on the Plain illuminate for us as to what kind of kinship we are being invited to reclaim. If it looks something more like this, it'd be a little bit less like Matthew, this otherworldly future, and really specific to woe for some and blessing for others, what would that say about kinship as we might try and find it with God and each other? It reminds me of what Sarah said earlier. Earlier conversation about um, just the duality um, of, in terms of kinship being a place where you have to live, you have to celebrate, you have to mourn, and sometimes at the same time. Yeah, one of the first things when I we hear that, it's like, I want to get on the right side of this thing, right? Like, I mean, if there's woe and there's blessing being dealt out in equal measure, let me make sure I end up on the right team. And yet kinship's reframing that a bit and saying, yeah, seriously, well, what are we going to do with the sense of responsibility that we're being given with, with the message that Jesus is giving amidst folks who presumably are going to end up on either side of this equation. How do we hold both? That's great. Someone else, what, what does this text seem to be pushing us in the direction of in terms of kinship? I don't know, man. It seems like it's really something we've said like over and over here in way, like truly coming beside people, whether it's advocacy or you know putting ourselves as best we can into their experience sharing in that experience it seems like because I think growing up I always heard the you know the Matthew telling of this you know more so than the than Luke and Luke seems very much more practical here and now rather than what's to come and, and so it's like it's a very different framing it's oh everything will be, you know the Matthew and seems now and looking at it like oh everything's going to be alright eventually you know but this seems more like a no you got to be an agent of change you know, this is what this is where the, the hard stuff happens. So, yeah. And that, yeah, yeah. Well, so Neil, uh, coming alongside of, and I think in this text, there's like class consciousness. There are rich people and there are poor people. Institutions are working for you. Institutions are not working for you. So if <laughs> if the people who if the institutions are working for you and kinship is coming alongside of it. It's, coming at it with this class consciousness, solidarity kind of frame, and less like a, you know what I mean? 
Yeah, yeah, you don't have to be class consciousness to worry about the poor in spirit, right? And you're like, well, you know, I'm sure we'll all get around to being poor in spirit eventually, and some of us have cause to get there sooner than others, right? It doesn't, it doesn't force you into relationality in the way this one does. You either are blessed or being put on the situation of woe, and yeah, the question may be like, how is this kingdom going to put people up next to each other or reorient our ways of being next to each other? And so it's very concerned, yeah, with those ways of being in tangible material terms, yeah. I, uh, I wish I could remember who I heard say this, but um, I heard someone say, you know, that most Christians, especially reading someone like the Beatitudes, you know, we think of ourselves as the, the, the Jews in the situation, but really we're probably the Romans, and it's a lot easier. It's a lot harder to put yourself in that position with this, like like you just said with the attitude. You're like, well, yeah, I'm I'm pretty meek. <laughs> On average, yeah. I also had dinner earlier, so I'm pretty certain where I fall on here. And that's you know not a yeah. It's it's a harder. Uh, I mean, this implicates us, right? It's a, it 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 points directly at us and says this is where you are in the situation, and these these people are next to you. It will not always be the way it is. Yeah, these are great. So reading this text, Molly's making a connection back that was like, yeah, as I looked over her notes earlier in this week, I made that connection as well of this capitalism series. was sat down with Aaron this week, and you guys showed up in the middle sort of of our capitalism series, which is the beginning of last calendar year. And we were wrestling with capitalism as a community, what it means to wrestle with that tradition and how it's implicated our faith. Um, and, and Ruby Sales, prophetic witness in that. And she says, materialism is the God of the West. Until the West addresses this crisis, nothing will result in changes, in justice, especially not when more people of faith bow at the altar of materialism rather than the altar of God. And I think it's really easy when reading a text like this one as people of varying degrees of privilege and wealth not to feel guilty at our love of materialism more than love of God, at how it's more a second nature to breathe the air of the market than it is to be about the work of the kingdom. A guilt can build up within us, or perhaps all of us, that we haven't fully or even partially reclaimed kinship with the poor, the hungry, the grieving, the enemy, but rather we're only claiming and reclaiming kinship with the rich and the fed and the happy and the easy, people most like us. So when talking about this text, a professor out of Columbia Seminary, this is where you know it's definitely not me, in Decatur, Georgia, once recounted a story in Arthur Miller's play, Incident at Vichy and the dialogue between a French officer who'd collaborated with the Nazis and a friend who had been part of the resistance. And the collaborator was going on and on with his own version of the woes and saying, woe is me for this and shame on me for that. And finally the resistor has enough and says, I don't want your guilt. I want your responsibility. And I think that the invitation for us when hearing blessings and woes in this text and thinking about God's invitation around kinship, I don't think Jesus with the vast diversity found in that crowd wanted to make some people feel guilty. 
I, Molly, don't believe with an ounce of my being Jesus was in the business of making people feel guilty. That's something that the church has too often gone wrong in and done too damning of a job with. For if the word from Luke in, in this gospel makes us feel guilty, that doesn't really help much because then we're stuck back in our ways of how things have been, we're overwhelmed, we're not willing to engage this kingdom or reclaim the kinship it's talking about, which is, if we're to believe it, the most beautiful life-giving thing. And we can't get there because we're just guilty. We're afraid it's just too hard. So we're not to stay in a place of guilt when hearing these blessings and woes and seeing where we fall, but rather, we're invited into a kinship that holds both blessings and woes together, a kinship that claims a responsibility. If the word from Luke makes us feel responsible, then it's good news indeed. Responsibility can give way to action. Responsibility names for us what is ours to care for and responds to us as co-workers alongside God and what is God's good work. And I do, Molly, believe Jesus over and over again wanted us to be responsible. Thinking of the calling of Simon Peter just last week, the widow's might, the good Samaritan, the parable of the soil, the yeast, and on and on, we are invited to respond as people who embody woes of some varying degree or another. Or in the words of Marion Wright Edelman, American activist for the rights of children, and founder of the Children's Defense Fund, I feel very lucky to have grown up having interaction with adults who are making change, but who are far from perfect beings. That feeling of not being paralyzed by your incredible inadequacy as a human being, which I feel every day, is part of the legacy that I've gotten from so many of the adult elders. So reflecting on that distance between guilt and the way that positions us and paralyzes us and responsibility as a call to action, if we're thinking about the spirit of living God, trying to free us from a kinship or free us to a kinship and free us from a guilt that paralyzes us, if we dream and think about what kinship of responsibility and not guilt looks like, what kind of dream might that be? What's the difference between the two when you think about responsibility as a forward force into kinship? What, what does that look like? I think Jesus embedded, I'm sorry to use 10 terms. Um, <laughs> he embedded his example in here because think of him as a, his ministry as a tech starter. He comes in and he disrupts He's a disrupting company. And basically, they're, they're the rich who are amongst the crowd are rich on the backs of those who are hungry, who are poor, who are without. without. Um, you know, their richness has stemmed on those people remaining in their state. He comes in and people are being cured, are being full by being in his presence, trying to touch him. And that disruption is a recognition that there's a system in place to keep people 
in their state. Mm -hmm. And by me and my presence being here, allowing people to be healed and to be blessed, uh, to be able to say these things and have that kind of action aligned with it. Um, it's, it's not just, just to come in and say, oh yeah, you rich people, blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, we're gonna disrupt this right now. And so if you think of yourself as, um, whatever daily situations you come up against as someone who can be a disruptor or can disrupt the system as it is or the way things are, um, that might be, I think, what Jesus kind of put in there. And maybe that's the connection between the healing and the sermon. together what the two of you are saying is like I think if a Jesus showed up and started like just feeding people wholesale right and put food banks and Durham out of business right we could get excited about that unless that same Jesus the same side says why did why do I have to come up and like be feeding all you people right like what what is wrong with the system that's allowed all these people to be hungry and needing a miracle and it's the tension between those two. I think about, I think about like, Jesus walking around and like, who here is in debt? Who here is making money off of debt? Like, mm -hmm. like really awkward stuff like that, mm -hmm. um, that reflects bigger problems, that reflects like the problems that are creating inequality. And it's not like individuals are personally responsible for this stuff. We're all. You know, depending on who you're talking to, you're on the rich side or the poor side, I feel like I can set myself on both sides of that depending on who I'm talking to, like, you know, on my, on my own neighborhood, that can change. So I don't need to, like, yeah. and, and that's where, like, Jesus reflects everyone in. Like, we all need to be this. Yeah. 
Yeah, which issue would be similarly? Yeah, Brandon, are you? Yeah, I was just going to say, uh, I mean, probably the fifth or sixth time we've done Luke set since I've been at Advanced Way. So I know Luke is the good version here in Matthew's Battle. But, uh, but I'm going back to Matthew, and in some ways I find it more compelling, I have to say, because I know it spiritualizes things, and it, things it's not just hunger and thirsting, it's hunger and thirsting after righteousness, right? It's not just poor, it's poor in spirit. But there are a lot more verbs in this one, uh, in the Matthew version. Uh, there are peacemakers, there are mourners, there are um, people who are being merciful, uh, people who are being meek, people who are um, hunger, hungry and thirsty for, for a different sort of world. And I find the Luke one kind of strange, actually, because it's totally passive in that we're assuming Jesus comes in and does all these things, but it doesn't actually say that. It just says, you know, blessed are these and woe are these. And you don't really know what is going to turn this all around, right? Why the, those who are full are going to be hungry, or those who are laughing are going to be um, upset later on. And so there's sort of a there's sort of a passivity to this text, or an apocalypticism of like waiting for something radical to happen. That I agree is structural. It pays attention to structures, but I, I have to say that the Matthew thing more immediately gives me hope. Because it points me to something that, um, what can I do? I can make peace. What can I do? I can mourn with those who are suffering. Uh, and this one's a little, a little bit more. Um, if it ain't fixed, it ain't fixed. It's, yeah, it's broken, and something's gonna happen someday, and it's gonna all be reversed. Um, but otherwise, what do you do? You twiddle your thumbs. Yeah, Paul. So, just before he starts speaking up. Had like this picture of so you have the people who are you know downtrodden. He said, "Blessed are you if you are poor, you will be rich or whatever." Um, but then he says, "You know, woe to these people who are up here." And he's speaking on a, on like a, on a plane, like on a level plane, and like they're come, so he's basically bringing them all on the same level. And so like to these group of these both of these group of people. They have a responsibility to each other now, right? Because these people before they were suffering. And then these people up here, before they weren't suffering, but they are going to suffer. And so it's kind of like the leveling of forces like suffering. And I started thinking about kinship and how like suffering is being able to enter into someone's suffering. So you talk about like more and more and more. Um, it's it's about being able to enter into somebody else's situation and suffering, and it's that level, it's the, the place where everything is flat, everything is level. Everybody's been brought, who's, everybody's been high has been brought low, everybody's been low has been brought high, and, and it's not like Jesus saying that you're good people and you're bad people. It's like, you have something to offer these people because you were suffering before, right? Um, and these people now, you'll be able to understand the plight of these other people because they were suffering and you were up here. And so it's kind of like this, I don't know, I see like this, you know, this, this empathy type thing that kind of connects and bridges the gap between these both groups because in the end, I don't think Jesus wanted to pin them against each other. Yeah. And you talk about, you know, he brought up Matthew 5, 
95, it, it really is talking to people who are hungering for a different type of world. That type of leveling is, is different, right? But like if we are looking at it from like a very like carnal viewpoint, it's, it seems like he is pinning these people against each other when he's not. He's really saying, there's gonna be a, a, like a big reversal, but in the end, both of you people have a responsibility to each other that um, if, you, if you acknowledge that, then that would be something beautiful. Mm. Mm. Yeah, this is why we dialogue, man. I, I hope you are hearing like the, the intersection of the, the, yeah, this idea that what, it, you give me a binary and then you say, turn it upside down. And I'm like, all right, turn it upside down. And we get the top and the bottom. And in my mind, yeah, it's so natural for there still to be a top and a bottom, right? And for that to be the point, that we got the bottom up to the top. But if, if there's a kinship lens on this, then it can't be about that, right? It can be re-narrating the relationality between tops and bottoms. Um, and then I go back to our call together. How do we awaken from the dream of separateness, from an abiding sense of the chasm that exists between us that cannot be reconciled? What if, what Jesus is talking about in this text, what if we unified the Gospels and said, maybe some of what the rich are missing is the poor in spirit? And maybe some of what the poor need is an opportunity to share the wealth that has be, is being ignored by those whose material wealth has insulated them from the reality of the kingdom breaking in. So I think, yeah, it's such a beautiful, I, yeah, yeah. I think Jesus really illustrates this um, in his treatment of Zacchaeus. I think both of those texts are brought together in a really beautiful example. Mm. Thanks. Who's it, fantastic in that what if you allied the top and the bottom what if you allied the spiritual and the material what if there's not a later 
that we can jump to to figure out when all this is going to, what if it has to be sorted out among us now when we start breaking those dualities down? He's not just pointing them out, but he's suggesting that they're going to come together. And yeah, this is the Jesus said, like, some of you standing with me now will not, there is an immediacy. And I think, yeah, if there's something that kinships, next week we get to talk about loving enemies in this context. And what would it mean to work that out? Not in a spiritual, not in a material, not in a then, but in a, in a mixing up and a milieu of who we are together now trying to make that real. I think that's a great place to leave this and to push to next week as we spend a couple more weeks wrestling with this kinship thing. Tim, I'm going to invite you up for just really a good confession and absolution. Mm. I think that takes us right into the teeth of what we've been talking about. Thank you, Ben, and thanks again for, uh, for having me along here today. I'm very grateful. And uh, if I can just briefly um, offer a um, deep gratitude to a number of you in the community here who've been very kind and helpful to me in, in the recent past with the problems I've been having with uh, my house and the town of Carborough. So um, for reaching out and offering your time and, and, and money in some um, instances, I'm very, very grateful and humbled. And thank you. So this next song is Freedom for the Stallion, which is written by Alan Toussaint, who was the, uh, uh, the uh, grand, grandmaster of, of music in New Orleans, if you're unaware of of him, a producer, a musician, a songwriter, worked extensively with people like Dr. John and the Meters. Um, but, but also outside of that community as well, he, he worked with the band, he worked with Little Feet, Robert Palmer, Elvis Costello. The, and this song's been recorded by lots of people. Uh, the Hughes Corporation had a, like a soul hit with it in the early 70s. Lee Dorsey recorded it. Uh, and most recently, um, Amy Helm has just recorded it on an album that she did with Joe Henry that came out about a week ago. Um, that's it. Um. Freedom for the stallion. Freedom for the mariner cold Freedom for the baby child Who's not grown old enough to vote Lord have mercy, what are you gonna do About the people who are praying to you They've got men making laws that destroy other men They've made money, God, it's a dark sin Oh Lord, you've gotta help us find a way Sailing. Slaves are all chained and bound Heading for a brand new land That some cat said he upped and found Lord have mercy on what are you gonna do To those people who are praying to you 
They've got men making laws to destroy other men. They made money, God, it's a goddamn sin. Oh Lord, you gotta help us find a way. Oh Lord, you gotta help us find a way. Of a home that that man didn't even choose. Lord, have mercy on what he gonna do to people like John and me. They've got men building fences to keep other men out. Ignore him if he whispers and kill him if he shouts. Oh Lord, you gotta help us find a way. Oh Lord, you gotta help us find a way. So, um, this last thing for today. Uh, Curtis Mayfield song, re- recorded with the impressions. I've sung it here before, and uh, it's a beautiful song. And please sing along if you uh, feel inspired to. Train coming, 
You don't need no baggage, you just get on board. All you need is faith, the diesel's coming. You don't need no ticket, you just thank the Lord. People get ready for the train a-coming. You don't need no baggage, you just get on board. All you need is faith to hit the diesel's humming. You don't need no ticket, you just thank the Lord. So, um, at some point when I was in college, um, I had a guy tell me that if I really wanted to learn something when I was looking at scriptures that I should identify with the bad guys. And um, that wasn't something that I needed to be told because I'm one of these Southern women who's constantly guilt ridden. <laughs> and so this, you know, the title caught my eye, guilt or responsibility. Yes, both, you know. Um, but you know, when Molly's text, thank you, Ben, for, um, yeah, when Molly's text, she um, alluded to, she, she mentioned Nazi collaborators. Um, it reminded me of one of my favorite Emmaus Way moments. And it was in a table invitation, like I'm doing now, much better prepared than mine is tonight. <laughs> um, but uh, Josh Bussman talked about, you know, he alluded to an academic text that I'm not gonna talk about, but, um, but he talked about, um, you know, how for Nazi stuff to happen, it didn't only require these horrible, evil people, it required lots of people doing little things that contributed to the big pile of evil. So someone sewed on the buttons of the uniform and someone grew the crops that were later used to feed the people who were doing the awful things or whatever. And so it's very easy for me to believe that, that all of my little bad things like contribute to the great systematic evil. Um, but what Josh pointed out is if we buy that and believe that that is true, then the other side also has to be true. That all the little things that we do that are loving, that are patient, that are understanding, that are flexible, that persevere to try to reach out to people who are different than we are, to the times when we are celebrating and we also embrace people in kinship and mourn with them. And when we're mourning and we embrace people in kinship and celebrate with them, that all of those um, little acts of love can also pile up to be um, what it takes to overcome evil, what it, what it takes to build the kingdom of God. And so, um, you know, from time to time, that story saves me. That story gives me the encouragement that I have to have to um, look at those long lines of things that I know that are wrong with the world and not be overwhelmed with guilt 
um, but that can motivate me to acts of love and responsibility. And so tonight, I invite you to take your first step in that, to come up here to the table where we're all together, where some of us are celebrating, some of us are mourning, some of us are uncomfortable and need other people to be flexible, to help um, embrace us in. And um, we serve each other at, at this table that Christ called us to, and we break bread or gluten-free cracker and hand it to each other and say, the body of Christ broken for you. And we pour grape juice or wine for each other, and we say, um, the blood of Christ shed for you. And uh, we share with each other in all of our shortcomings and in all of our possibilities. And so I invite you to the table tonight.